The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. I'm Benjamin Shapiro, the executive producer of the MarTech Podcast. And today we've got a special episode for you, which is going to be guest hosted by Doug Bell, who's the CMO of Chief Outsiders. Doug is a veteran CMO with a background in helping growth stage B2B SaaS companies reach their true potential. And I'm thrilled to invite him and some of his friends to take the microphone and share their knowledge with you, our loyal MarTech Podcast listeners. Okay, here's a special episode of the MarTech Podcast, guest hosted by Doug Bell, the CMO of Chief Outsiders. Hello, marketers. My name is Doug Bell from Chief Outsiders, and today we're going to be discussing addressing knowledge friction with AI. Joining me is Chris Mall, who is the president and COO at Prion, founded in 2017 by the minds behind Amazon's Alexa, Apple, Siri, and IBM's Watson. Prion's no-code AI-enhanced knowledge management platform transforms untapped digital assets from multiple sources into solutions that measurably improve outcomes. And today, Chris and I are going to be talking about using AI to address knowledge friction. Okay, here's my conversation with Chris Mall, the president and COO at Prion. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Doug, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Well, it's good having you. Hot topic of the day. Last year or so has been artificial intelligence. We're seeing it make its way really into every aspect of our business lives. It hasn't quite made it into my personal life yet, but I have a feeling my wife will demand it at some point. That you know of. That I know of, but at some point it's going to get in there. So I think it's a great topic for us today. And Chris, we're talking about knowledge friction. Also a great topic. Not everybody's familiar with what knowledge friction is. Help us understand that. Actually, everyone is. And it starts with a sense of frustration, a sense of impatience, a sense of, I know things can be more effective, but I can't get what I'm looking for. And it's highly quantifiable in organizations, and that can be profit, nonprofit, production. But what knowledge friction simply is, is the distance between what I need to know and the ability to know that so I can act accordingly. And that's true, whether it's storytelling, information, product information, customer information. In fact, having grown up really in the technology industry, what we didn't do as a technology industry was design things to work the way you and I are on this call, which is this conversation. This is it. This is what we were born for. We got eyes, ears, we can listen, we have a mouth, we can talk, and that's the most effective loop. And all compute infrastructures, and I am an OG compute guy, were not designed for humans. They were designed for machines to answer questions with machines, and that's bits and bytes. So all the intelligence inside of systems, and particularly unstructured systems, and that's where we put all of our information in computers, has waves of computer speak over it. So knowledge friction is how difficult is it to get that piece of really important information 
to people that know it. And that's field engineers, that's customers, that's new employees, that's operational executives. It's there. I mean, the beauty of the digital world is all the information is in fact there and it's verifiable and it has veracity, but it's locked down and it's locked down by villains like me who, you know, way back in the Oracle day or other days built these systems that were designed for you to work with my system, not your information. And what Prion has done is taken that same Alexa model that our founder and said, let's bring that kind of fluidity to unlocking the value that's already inside your company. And so knowledge friction is that distance. And there's other aspects that I'm sure your listeners will recognize. You know, I'm at the company, I got to figure out who I need to know. You know, who's my mentor and rabbi that can tell me where and what is. And there's lots of good reasons to have a mentor, don't get me wrong. But getting answers to questions that are known at the company somewhere is one of those examples of knowledge friction. And so, in fact, we've spoken to knowledge strategists. These are the people at the big consulting firms who talk about the sublime inside of corporations. What they mean is there's so much knowledge friction that a sublime part of your participation in that company is your acceptance of the frustration that will come with getting what I need to know to do my job. And another example of that is speaking to any operational executives, which I do all the time. And when I ask, how do you feel about the assets you've built and the ability for people to unlock them when and where they need them? And we'll talk about marketing and sales, which is just one area of where that gets done. But every inherently every executive knows that, you know, I've done great things with content, whether it's brand or product or storytelling or history or policy. But I know I spent a lot of money on that a year ago. Why is it these new folks don't have that answer that I know we designed? So those are just some symptoms of knowledge friction. Customers have it madly. I mean, the frustration levels, particularly in the digital age, going to visit a website, now you really want to have a conversation with something and get an answer, and you know what it is, but I'm going to use a chatbot that can only use some particulate things I enter and in a rules-based sense kind of fall off. And that's a conversation. Even in a political sense, we have clients who are cities who believe that motivating a city to become alive again with a city government is a conversation. And we've got great initiatives at our city level, whether they're services or unlocking the value of the city, but you can't get to it. And, and think about this knowledge friction. One of our clients has 83 dialects in that city. And those 83 dialects are people that have come to the city that need services, need to figure out taxes and filing, and they want to interact with the content. And there's all kinds of friction. Now it's not just the locked up information, but it's the way people ask for it. And I'll, obviously that's a big setup for me to say our client uses Prion with 83 translation languages in a digital human. So you can walk up to that digital human, talk to it in your fluent language and get the exact answer as if you spoke it in English in milliseconds. And that's just a little vision for unlocking knowledge friction. So I can roll on about this question, I'm sure. And I'm sure you'll poke a, a few more areas, but that's just some examples of it. It's so interesting, Chris, because I think we've all had this experience, whether as marketers or as consumers, but I'm going to use the rubric you've laid out for us, which is to say that we've got customers, we've got our own internal friction, if you will. And I think the vast majority of folks are familiar with some of those friction points just from being a consumer. So let's take that first rubric and let's talk about the negative impacts of a high friction environment for customers and prospects. And then I, I wouldn't mind digging a bit because this idea of 62 dialects, I'm going to guess this is a city perhaps in China. It's actually in Texas. It's in Texas. <laughs> it's in Texas. <laughs> of course it's in Texas. Yep. I didn't know there were 62. Yeah, that's amazing. So why don't we start with, let's talk about friction in the con knowledge friction in the context of selling and marketing. And in particular, I want to talk about marketing. So talk to us about some of those negative impacts when there is high knowledge friction. What happens? Yeah, there's probably dozens, but the ones that we see at first is confusion. 
So I'm a visitor, I'm looking for education. The brand appeals to me, and that can be as technical as you like, a chipset brand, or it can be a consumer brand. And I'm investigating, I'm in an investigative mindset. And of course we know that the emotional peak is there at investigation. I've been peaked by the brand, I'm leaning forward into it. And now I'm looking and I wanna learn. And I go from that part of the brain that's excited and receptive and really connective to digging through a site or in a chat bot and finding nothing related to what I'm doing and in fact, frustration. So just think about that emotional mind meter, right? And that happens, you know, we live in the digital age and have for quite a while now. And all of a sudden I'm now frustrated at my inability to interact with a brand. And I'll share another example with you. And this is a brand I will not share with you, but it's a major healthcare system. And they have 21 websites as any one of them would. And when I say major, pick any of the top 10 cities and pick any one of the 20 to 70 campus healthcare systems. Those 21 sites have knowledge on those sites. And that knowledge is very specific to those systems, their policies, their healthcare, their prescriptions, and their expertise and their schools and all the goodness. And in fact, we've worked with a few who say, the reality is we don't know all the knowledge that's out there. That's the beginning of the client journey. Now I say that because it's healthcare and they themselves admit readily, we have no way of connecting to all the content that we have published and in any sense on an instantaneous sense, know what's there and know that it's right and know that it's got high veracity and high impact. That's number one. So I'm talking about the delivered knowledge and that's been put there. You know, you paid big consultants and the smartest doctors and medical professionals and prescriptive and clinical folks to put your message out there and you don't know. We've worked with firms that have 5,000 knowledge articles that's published for the consumer to educate themselves. And they've handed them to us saying, we would like to test them in your knowledge fabric so that our consumer can speak in a natural language way and get the right answers out of it. And we've often handed them back 3,000 of the articles. And they said, what's that about? It's like, you don't need them. So imagine that. So when I talk about friction, it starts with what you've placed out there. But the consequence for the consumer, of course, is the experience of trying to get to the knowledge. And then the worst part is misinformation or less than current information or dated information. And then I haven't, what I haven't mentioned is the personal frustration. You know, I'm not seeing what I need. So a little bit of disillusion, frustration, that all gets connected to your brand. And our web, our sock puppet blow up 2002 web time, we published everything and put it out there for consumers, be it the world's most critical thinkers to just gamers, to folks just shopping for stationery. And it's sitting out there. This intelligence is sitting out there on your website, nonetheless. So the friction consequences is monstrous. And it's one of the reasons I most appealed to this mission with Igor when I met him two and a half years ago, because I realized this is absolutely true. It's a byproduct of our race to digitize everything and to do it in a way with systems that did not have a fluent experience with the consumer. And it's Igor, as you mentioned, is the CEO of Prion and founder of Prion. He is. I call him Tweedledee. He calls me Tweedledum. Okay, Tweedledum. So here we go. Let's break down some of the aspects of, of what you just talked about. And I think any marketer or salesperson listening to the call can understand. We have created high friction environments just broadly. And I agree, Chris, there's a lot of information on the internet that's really hard to navigate. Right. Some of our choices in terms of how we've organized our websites quite often with this idea that our website is meant to produce some activity, a demo request, a trial activity, whatever, what have you. And so we sometimes unintentionally create friction with the idea of getting some, some result, right? So that makes a ton of sense. And, and it, it also, what I'm hearing you say is that we put everything out there, but we have no way of really kind of rationalizing everything that's out there. And the best rationalization we have, Chris, I think, is how do we structure our websites? And then how good are we at creating a meta structure for Google to search against? Yeah, and I think those are the problem. I know that you're like, hmm, where's he going? Let me explain. 
That is the modality of using technology to speak to humans that has been the highest point of functional delivery. The Google search index. What is more effective is this. How are you today? That's great. So the conversational level of fluency, because the intelligence has been built, you've built it. I mean, any of these big firms that we all know and love, and really all firms curate their truth. They have professionals like yourself and other great folks that really, you know, how do we put this in the highest quality form of what we have, whether it's a product, a service, our brand, our brand history. But then you've got this topology of technologies all over it. And consumers show up and are trying to do that dance between it. And you started to rightly segment the parts of that dance, whether it's the Google search index or the page layout and the design. What is happening, and this is AI-based work, and this is really stuff that our researchers have been thinking about for 30 years, and Igor has been delivering his commercial solutions for 15 years, and this company for seven years, is to take that information and to create a new version of it, which is what we call the knowledge fabric. And that knowledge fabric has a very different design. It's the exact same truth. It's completely safe and secure. But now, through our layers of optimized technology on top of that, you can talk to it and it will find an answer for you that's verifiable out of your truth. So it's a different technology stack that changes that dynamic in terms of experience of a customer. I can give you an example. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Chris, before you dig into that example, unpack this idea of knowledge fabric a bit more. And let's hear how, how that's applied. Because, by the way, I love getting on the podcast with founders and with people like you because your levels of ambition sort of blow my mind. So effectively, what you want to take on is the entire meta structure of the internet and Google. So Chris, please explain what that knowledge fabric equals. No problem. And listen, this is the strange thing. So you have a marvelous head of hair, and I'm very jealous. I don't. <laughs> Listeners can't see me, but I look like Brad Pitt, and he is right. I have a beautiful head of hair. <laughs> and I look like Bruce Willis. But anyway, <laughs> the reality of all that intelligence that's been packed into those systems is the interface the thing that you and I have, which we'll keep calling conversational natural language, was never designed for that. And that's not what it was done. It's for humans to figure out how to dance with these technologies to find their way through and get an answer. 
And that degree of technology stack, I think this is a good infographic I'll have my company build. Here's on the left, here are the systems dances between you, the seeker of a question, and the great answer that you've designed. And then on the right is, here's the conversational layer, which is just removing those technology problems. So in unpacking that, what you have is a series of legacy technologies. So I'm not taking on Google as much as I'm, we know that from mainframes to minis to client server technology to the cloud, which arguably I'm an OG cloud person, Salesforce from 2002 to six, lots to do with helping the world move into this new compute model. What we have is in the information access dynamic, a non-conversational, non-natural language stack of technologies. And all of our existing systems are not designed that way. So the question is, how can you do what is best for a two-year-old or a 60-year-old, which is let them ask questions and get natural language answers with attribution out of the great content you build? So the knowledge fabric, in fact, is a single version of doing that that I've just described. What I mean by that is, let's assume we walk into a mid-sized firm, $200 million, and when they think about the content that matters to them, both internally for employees or external, let's go external, sales and marketing and services collateral, right? The fundamental truths, and that could be blogs, that could be call logs, that can be published stories, that can be knowledge articles, that could be product marketing articles, that can be client stories. These are all rich, rich, rich pieces of information. What we do is ingest them all into our platform, which is our AI models and lots of technologies to put it all together into one representation of itself. And that doesn't matter if it's on Microfish from 60 years ago, or if it's a recent blog, or if it's on a website, or if it's a PDF article, or if it's a PowerPoint. And we take that all and then we neuralize it into it, what we call your knowledge fabric. And this is your trusted safe knowledge fabric. So far, what you've done is meet us, sign an agreement, give us confidential access to your information. The rest is automatically happening. So the knowledge fabric, I feel like I understand it and I'm the lowest common denominator. So therefore our listeners understand it and I understand how it comes together. And I love this paradigm. How does a customer or prospect interact with that knowledge layer? How do they interact with the knowledge fabric? They talk to it. Tell me more. Is this your standard large language model chat GPT interaction? No, this is really conversational AI and it's attributed safe conversational AI. So by the way, I have to say this, we've been working with LLMs for 10 years. And so oddly enough, when the LLM craze kicked off, we were like, we have four of them built into our system. So much of the market has gone from these just monolithic LLMs to realizing that boutique LLMs have application. We figured that out four, five, six years ago. And so within our infrastructure, we use four, nay, three LLMs to do different things. And generative, let's be clear, generative is I'm going to make something up for you. Now, I might be really smart and I might have a really good, I might be a very, very good actor, but generative as a category. I am generating, creating something from a corpus of intelligence that I've ingested. And one thing I'm going to explain really quickly here is our systems do not train on your data. So when you think about the New York Times and their anxiety, part of the reason is because the LLM of OpenAI has actually taken in and started to think a little bit that brain, that ChatGPT brain, has got a little New York Times in it now. But it doesn't tell you that it's New York Times, it just has it. Our models were built differently. Our models were built on what's called an extractive layer of truth AI. We're gonna only put together your information and then we're gonna blend it into this fabric. And that fabric is gonna first have a confidence level series of rankings. So when you ask a question, it's gonna bring up the highest confidence exact answer. So the way you interface with it is speak to it, literally push a button and talk, and then it'll bring up answers with attribution. 
So for example, let's assume that you and I are going to a healthcare system and we want to go to a website and we want to ask the question, who is the doctor that has the most credibility in pancreatic research and has been trained by these two doctors that I know are great doctors? So that's a really specific question. Our system would look across all the corpus of information, whether that was bios and PDFs or web pages or dossiers that were printed or even published articles from those doctors and would in milliseconds bring back the name, the photo and the bio of the person that fits that criteria with attribution. So we wouldn't like ChatGPT just put words out there. We'll actually show you where the truth was. And, and the question you asked me at the beginning is how do you interface? The answer is I asked the question. And in fact, in our world, we like really rich questions. So not to have fun with Elon Musk, but taking Twitter and crushing it down to don't speak like a human, speak something like a robot and something like, a, you know, so that's not what natural language about. Natural language is about a rich, complete question set. We love that because that allows our systems to really mine. And then we do this in milliseconds and deliver back to you with attribution your truth. And what we haven't done is send your information out to the cloud and or trained on it. We've used our models because that knowledge fabric allows us to reinterpret all your content into a single form of itself, which we call the fabric, the knowledge fabric, which means when we ask the question, it knows how to reduce the distance between the full question and the full answer. And we use math to do that, but we do it in milliseconds. So we take away all that complexity, your question again, and I'm, I know I kind of ramble here, I apologize. But when you want to interface with a system, speak to it. You can also type in text as well. You can use a number of interfaces, but the one that just unlocks the magic is talk to it. So what I love about being a part of the MarTech podcast is you have these moments when you learn something, Chris, and, and thank you because I've learned something today, but it also feels so obvious. So for me, this idea of knowledge fabric, of course there's knowledge fabric. By the way, great branding. Thank you. Um, of course there's knowledge fabric. Because we've all had that moment of ghost data, and hopefully we've been smart enough with our use of whatever model your preference is, OpenAI or Claude, what have you. We've all had that moment where you know we've looked at data and been like, this is not possible. It's ghost data, right? And that can happen in healthcare, heavily regulated industries, and especially city services, which you mentioned before. We're not going to have time today to get to the 62 dialects necessary to serve a city in Texas, and I didn't mean to make fun of Texas. I'll tell you who it is. It's the city of Amarillo. And it's a widely publicized, in fact, the CTO there has done a remarkable job of bringing to bear our technology along with digital human technology to really create a conversation with his community to bring back the voter confidence because after the pandemic, people lost it. Who trusted their town? Anyway, I digress. For another chat, we can walk through that or I'm sure we could even get him to join me on a chat with you. Chris, I, I think that deserves some time because what you're really talking about is a level of complexity far beyond what your average sales and marketing organization has to consider. Because when you talk about adding languages, dialects, whatever you want to call them, it's not just the language interpretation, it's the context. There's so much more behind that and so much more complexity than just simply taking your standard large website with huge amounts of data and creating a knowledge layer. Again, Chris, I love these moments when I learn something like this and when I drill in a lot more, but it also feels like, of course, this is happening. Of course, this is a trend. So thanks for spending some time with me. Thank you. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Chris Ma from Prion for joining us today. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Chris and I are going to be talking about why knowledge friction is the top issue for salespeople. If you can't wait until our next episode and would like to learn more about Chris, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can also contact Chris on Twitter, where his handle is Chris Mall, N-Y, C-H-R-I-S-M-A-H-L, New York, N-Y or visit his company website at prion.com. 
Okay, that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to our guest host, Doug Bell, the CMO of Chief Outsiders. If you'd like to get in touch with Doug, you could find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is Market Advocate. Or you could just visit his website, which is chiefoutsiders.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can even apply to be the next guest speaker on the MarTech Podcast. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly on LinkedIn. My handle is Ben J. Schapp. B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.